Voyage of the Page Turner. Episode 18. Forecast from Stonehenge. Alright there, my booty. <laughs> uh, hello, welcome to Voyage of the Page Turner, the choose your own page turning podcast with me, comedian Colin Lego. I went back to my roots there a little bit at the start. Yeah, bit of West Country for you. Uh, there's a good reason for that because episode 18, we are going to the West Country. Oh yeah, I'm not going to say much about this story, uh, br- mainly because it was massively long. Uh, the recording I did with my brilliant guest, Damien Harmony, went on for about four days um, which goes to show that these stories can go in any direction so I'm not going to say much more about it um, but thank you for joining me again I hope you enjoy this episode and if you are enjoying the podcast remember you can always share those enjoyments uh, that you're having on Twitter and Instagram at Page Turner Show and you can also let me know on an email which is voyageofthepageturner at gmail.com but let's get into this story like I said it's a long one and I'm very excited that for once the story is taking place not only in the UK but slightly near my home of Cornwall so the accents should be fairly decent (laughs) I don't know probably not anyway let's get into it meet my returning guest and see what happens in this episode 18 of Voyage of the Page Turner today we see another returning guest to the show don't these people learn their lesson the first time in the form of us-based comedian damien harmony not only has damien set up and co-hosted many successful shows and podcasts including capital punishment and a geek history of time he also teaches latin clever boy During his last time voyaging with the Page Turner, Damien was killed by a venomous tree frog while trekking through the Amazon jungle. A spectacular death, but not a very heroic one. So, Damien, can you do better today on your visit to Stonehenge? There'll be no tree frogs, just druids and possible death. Damien Harmony, welcome once again to Voyage of the Page Turner. Thank you. It's good to be back. I, uh, I, I'm pleased that I found my way out of the Amazon. <laughs> well, now, if anyone uh, remembers your episode, did you find your way out of the Amazon? Because uh, we are, I'm speaking to you now, but yeah. can you remember exactly what happened to you last time? Yes. In one, like, I, I don't know if I was the first where we were like, okay, that's ridiculous. Let's go back and try the other one. But in the first one, I just kind of wandered and ambled about, and that was the end of the story. Because my Irish guide uh, took me somewhere. Um, And then, and in the other one, I, being an infectious diseases expert, still carelessly touched a frog and died of poisoning within minutes. I mean, there's a lovely irony in that death. (laughs) I'm the only person who could have saved myself. It's it's true. I love it. So true. So true. Um, And it's one of the endings that has had quite a few comments, really, because it was sort of out of the blue. Um, Going from the the very let down ending of just wandering around and that was Mm -hmm. it to like (laughs) this horrible death where you sort of burnt from the insides, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Two extremes. I, I like that there's a world where those are the two extremes. Either I just wander around aimlessly for the rest of my life, or I'm immolated from the inside because my blood has been poisoned by a frog. And before we get into the book, which is a, an exciting book today for many reasons, mm-hmm. um, I thought we had a chat last time about what you used to get up to when you were a kid, and yes. I was 
I was fairly um, surprised about the extreme <laughs> activities. <laughs> that, unlike me, building a treehouse, you were uh, throwing bits of rocks at your friends. Yes, yes. <laughs> building a two-state solution, one rock at a time. <laughs> um, but I was fascinated. The, the American kind of uh, childhood... I've got a few uh, English names of playground games we had back when I was younger. See if any of them ring a bell on your side of the Atlantic. Can we give that a go? Yeah, and I'll let you know if there's an analogue that we called it by another name or something. I used to watch a film. Uh Uh, One of my favourite films of all time when I was growing up was the original Pete's Dragon. Oh, yes. Uh, Now, uh, and then Disney got hold of it uh, back in, like, about ten years ago and made in a a sequel, Mm -hmm. and that's not as good. But the original, I always was confused because they had a game called Tic-Tac-Toe. Okay, so, because I'm remembering on Pete's Dragon, he played it on the dragon's belly. That's right. X's and O's, right? No, hang on. Oh, wait a second. Hang on a second. I'm going to keep all this in the podcast. So, no, hang on. (laughs) So, Uh tic-tac-toe is noughts and crosses. By noughts? How do you spell noughts? N-A-U-G-H-T-S? Or K-N-O-T-S? It's noughts and crosses. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a null set. It's it's all but not. Yeah. Zero, okay. zero right. and crosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We call that yeah. tic-tac-toe. Our name makes way more sense, Damien. Well, most of the time you guys call things, it makes a lot more sense. Like, <laughs> I remember studying, you know, I, I, you know, as an historian, I've studied, you know, a fair amount. And things like the Communicable Diseases Act, you know what that's about. It's about communicable diseases. Mm. Like, you know, we have things called the Patriot Act. And it, there's nothing patriotic about that. Like... <laughs> Like the opposite, like yeah. So yeah, you guys are yeah. much more forthright with like your naming of things, and I appreciate that. Although to flip that over, I've heard a comedian say before that you know in America he found when he went there as a British comedian that things are named quite literal. And is it we we say the pavement, you say the sidewalk because it's you walk on the side of the road. That does yeah. make more sense than pavement. To be that fair. one does, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's, uh, when I'm teaching my students Latin, I tell they, you know, I tell them my favorite word in Latin and why, and I'm like, well, it's it's mostly just lyrical sounding, and all it means is although it's quam quam, it's just fun to say. <laughs> nice, nice. It doesn't have any any deeper meaning than that. And they said, well, what's your favorite word in English? I'm like, bedroom. And you know, they're teenagers, so like, oh, I was like, no, because like it's the most aptly named room in the house. True. Every other name you have to have an imagination for. The bedroom is the room with the bed in it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Like, yeah. it, it's all there. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's elegant. Uh, now, did you ever play Conkers? Conkers? Conkers. No. Now, this is a game which got banned in British oh, schools. Geez. Yeah. It got, it got banned in British schools uh, probably around the turn of the... About 2000, I reckon. Okay. Um, but when I was at school... All it was. So a conker is another name for a horse chestnut. So what's a horse chestnut? Do do you guys not have horse chestnuts? It's we, I don't know. Well, it's like a, a shiny brown nut, and it grows in the autumn on trees, and mm-hmm. it it grows in like a spiky, um, almost like a tennis ball. Not as big as a tennis ball, but like inside this little ball that has spikes on the outside, and when it falls, the shell opens, and inside is this quite sort of marble-sized brown nut, right? 
nothing that I know of. We have Buckeyes, wow. but they're like hollow and still kind of hard. Wow. But yeah. Okay. So see, this is, so this, is, this is this is great. We're exchanging ideas yeah. over the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I like it. So you get your you get your conker, you get your horse sure. chestnut, you then drill a hole through your nut, you then put a shoelace through the nut and tie a knot on one end. So now you have a, a very hard nut on the end of a swingy string. Yeah, we call that a flail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> called a flail. Well, so now you get your mini nut weapon, basically, uh-huh. and you hold you hold it up, you dangle it in front of your friend. He's <laughs> also got one, and he flicks his conker onto your conker, and you take turns until one conker smashes, and the winner is the one that has the the intact conker at the end. Now it got banned because people were breaking fingers, getting their <laughs> getting their eyes knocked out. It was quite brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we had a game that's similar to that, Um, and I only played it when I moved to Florida. Now, Mm. the place where I lived in Florida was tremendously rural, Um, and for your British listeners, I don't have much of an analogy other than to say the place I lived in Florida was was basically the further north you go in Florida, the further southern the mentality uh, is. Right. So we were essentially in junior Alabama. Right. So we're like in the perennium of Alabama. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we we played a game with pencils and we called it pencil popping. And you would take your pencil and you'd hold your pencil sideways. And the other person would bring their pencil and they'd flick it onto your pencil. And you would right. do this back and forth until one of your pencils broke. Oh, okay. And that way everybody would stay at a third grade le- reading level through high school. So... <laughs> Which was good because the average age of pregnancy was like 15. So I think they're directly related. But so and there were I mean, people had all kinds of methods for how to do it. And we did have another game called uh, Flick. And you basically I don't know. You know, you can flick. I'm making a noise on my mic, but you do it to each other's knuckles until someone like gave up. Our childhood was quite brutal in terms of playground games. Wasn't it? Yes. I, I, I would agree. Uh, less so when I lived in San Francisco than when I lived in... Although, no, come to think... No, in San Francisco, we were throwing things at each other all the time. Um, whereas in Florida, it was it was face-to-face combat all the time mm. in some way. Like, whether it's the weapon of, of a pencil or, or, or whatnot... I think I think now like health and safety obviously has stepped in and that's great in so yes. many ways. But uh, like Conkers got banned; it was literally banned because of how aggressive it was. So I think playgrounds are, are much different now mm-hmm. than what they used to be. I don't know. There's the concrete is no longer hard; it's spongy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I Am like I right this. With, yeah. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> yeah. this is wonderful because now kids are like, you know, going out to play, and it's not like, well, let's. Let's roll the lottery dice here and <laughs> see if you're gonna die or not. You know, like yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's. I I think it's. I, I think what's happened is that as a society on both sides of the Atlantic, we have agreed that preemptive birth control is better than playground birth control. <laughs> so, Very true. Very yeah. true. You know, yeah. instead of passive eugenics. Of, you know, like, well, let's see if you can climb up a 20-foot pole. And by the way, it's concrete at the bottom. Good luck. Uh, Now, (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> we're like, you know what? Let's do some family planning ahead of time first. The most fun game that we played was we we would grab a tennis ball because we had power wires that went across our yard. Um, pa- power wires? Yeah, you know, like to bring power from the street oh, to the school. Okay, okay. And, okay. and they were set up, uh, you know, there's there's a higher wire and a lower wire, you know. And we would throw the tennis ball back and forth. And if you could get it over the higher wire, we made up these rules entirely. But if you could get it over the highest wire and then the other side didn't catch it, you got two points. If you could get it between the two wires and the other side didn't catch it, you got three points. If you got it under, you didn't get any points. But if they caught it, you lost points. Um, Wow. So, yeah, it was just a complicated ad hoc kind of system. Um, (laughs) it It was a lot of fun. It, it, that that game needs to make it to television, and I, I yes. say that because they have managed to uh, make uh, the game of uh, tag or hit or whatever you want to call that game mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. an actual adult TV show. <laughs> have you seen that? I, you know what? I think I did once. I was showing my kids uh, a game show on a streaming service about Legos. Uh, you know, um, you didn't show up. I was disappointed. Uh, <laughs> Um, it's my day off. It's my day off. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they had a substitute in there. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think it, it, it offered us to show people playing tag. Yeah, tag. Over it's and like, around obstacles. Yeah, it's like a national tag uh, competition. And they have these teams of grown adults mm-hmm. <laughs> playing tag by aggressive tag indoors over like it's more be like parkour meets <laughs> tag it, it's insane so i think your game of the power wire ball that's a great name as well should make it to tv definitely i you know i i, I don't see why it won't in three years <laughs> watch this space um yeah. all right look so let's yeah. get into the, today's book um it is episode 18 today however it is not book 18 we, like I've done for the last few weeks, I've gone rogue with my book mm-hmm. choices. But today, Damien, you are the first Voyager to have chosen your book. Right? This is so, very meta. I'm choosing my <laughs> choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Just like life. Um, <laughs> now t- tell me a bit about this book, because it's the forecast from Stonehenge. Um, and when, when I said... When I asked you to come back on the show, I gave you a good list of books you could choose from, and you went straight for this. Tell me why. A couple reasons. One, my daughter loves this book. Two, I figure if it's Stonehenge, then you're going to have less trouble with uh, uh, problematic accents. Well, that I find that very offensive. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm a master at the accents, as we you all are. know. You are. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, amazing how, how Cornish most people sound. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, but, luckily, the uh, Stonehenge is, yeah. uh, I think, about 180 miles from my hometown of Falmouth, and mm-hmm. it's in the same kind of area. There's a, you know, West Country accent. So yes, you're you're <laughs> right. We're in the right <laughs> ballpark, at least with the accents today. Okay. <laughs> uh, the other reason I, I picked it is because I've always been fascinated with Stonehenge because, um, you know, I teach Latin. You know, mm. so there's there's a lot of uh, the interaction with the Romans slaughtering the Druids. It's always been fascinating to me. Um, <laughs> but also, I know that. Uh, so, I, tell me if you guys have this over there. Okay, I, mm. obviously you have redheaded people um, over there. Uh, are you allowed to call them ginger, or is that now a derogatory term? Well, I think it's. I mean, it's very hard for me to say as someone mm-hmm. who has brown hair. But mm. um, knowing people with red hair. 
they at least call themselves ginger. Yeah, that's our word. Yeah. It's one of those. So of all of the, I'm going to use the word because I'm in that group. Sure thing. Of all of the gingers that you know, do you know anybody who uh, has paired up romantically with a fellow ginger? Oh, oh gosh. We don't. No, we no don't. I don't. I don't. Now, there's, there, there are reasons why. We are genetically predisposed to not see each other as attractive because of the sexual dynamism contained within each one of us. If you put them together, yeah. it it has it has been disastrous for society. Chernobyl was actually a bunch of expats uh, that had an orgy um, in the Katan <laughs> Forest. Um, the aurochs was made extinct in 1452 because of two gingers in the woods, and they destroyed all the bulls. Crop circles are uh, Mennonite ginger kids, uh, usually pairing up, uh, just trying. I once hooked up with a fellow ginger, and the next day, the entire rapid transit system went on strike. <laughs> so the, the fact is, Stonehenge used to be a solid wall, mm. but for a druid pairing up with another druid, both of whom were redheads, and the dynamism blew out portions of that wall, and that's why you have Stonehenge as it is. Wow. So I've always been wow. fascinating for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, so. wow. So are you, are you saying we go back, way back, and there's mm -hmm. two red-headed stegosauruses, yes. and they get together, and boom, that's the end of the dinosaurs. Yeah, well, that was the Yucatan Peninsula. I mean, prior to that, it was all one large, uh, you know, uh, isthmus, and then, you know, now it's a, Gosh. yeah. Wow. See? Wow. I mean, surely in Scotland, surely in Scotland, uh, there must, because there's, there's a high population of people with red hair, uh, red heads must get together. But I, I'm, I'm, that's probably why there's uh, it's, it's areas... It's never spoken of in polite company, though. We, we... Oh, Fair enough. And, and it's yeah. funny, because all of you, you brown and blonde hairs will come to us and be like, hey, you know, she's over there. I'm like, yeah, she's a redhead. Go for it. Because I'm not. Uh, <laughs> you know, we know better. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wow. Wow. So, um, going back to what you said about your daughter. Now, your daughter Probably is. Probably a better move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> by the way, both of my children are redheads, by the way. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, uh, um, so you, how old is your daughter, if you don't mind me asking? She's eight. She's eight. Now, now that's an amazing age for these books. It is. But I don't know if we talked about it so much on your previous episode. How did she get into these books via you? Well, uh, quarantine. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Um, there, there was, okay, so there was a book that my son had picked up, and it was a Star Wars book, and it was called Decide Your Destiny. Mm. And we sat down and read it, and I had them choose, and we did different adventures. You could be different kinds of clones in the Clone Wars, and decide your destiny, as it were. And the result was, I was you know, my daughter really liked it, and she kind of grabbed the book and, and devoured it for a day. Mm. And I was like, oh, I know what she's going to like for her birthday. So actually, come to think of it, it might not have just been last year. It might have been the year before because she's pretty precocious. So I think I oh. bought her the Choose Your Own Adventures the year before. Okay. Um, and the result was she learned all about. That's what I love about um, the, the author is that mm. you go all around the world. Um, and for a six-year-old, you know, that's age appropriate, you know, the, the mm -hmm. way that he explores the world. Uh, but um, she learned all about pronunciation of Nordic names. Uh, she learned all about um, Greek mythology even more, you know, because mm, mm. uh, predictably we do a lot of mythology in this house. Um, but yeah, she's she's learned an awful lot. Let's get into this because I'm, I'm 
I'm excited to give this a go. This is Forecast from Stonehenge. It is episode 18 of Voyage of the Page Turner. You travel to Stonehenge on the summer solstice, the most sacred day in the Druid calendar. You were supposed to meet a man named Alistair, who knows something about the famously missing heelstone of Stonehenge. But when you arrive, the site is crowded with people dressed in costume for the special day. You must exercise caution, as not everyone is who they appear to be. If you find Alistair, he could lead you to archaeological fame and fortune, or to sudden death. Are you ready to learn the ancient, dark secrets that Stonehenge has in store for you? Now, Damien, quick question at the start. Have you ever been to Stonehenge? I've not. I've never been to England or anywhere in the United Kingdom. I've not. I've been to, you know, I, I spent a lot of my life setting up so that I could travel. You know, like build that that stability so that I could then leap from it and and travel and and always have a place to come back to. And mm. then the pandemic hit, like right as I started stepping. So I've been to Berlin, uh, I've been to Rome, uh, and up and down the Shin and down to Sicily. Um, and uh, I guess you could technically say I was in Frankfurt, although it was just in the airport. Um, although if I died, I would have had it on my uh, death certificate that I died in Frankfurt. So I still count it. Um, but <laughs> well, I'm pleased that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, as am I. As yeah. am I. Uh, you, yeah. you might be a, a distant second to to my gratitude that it didn't happen. But, <laughs> but I've never I've never been. Uh, in fact, I was going to set up a trip um, probably next year for it. Um, but then the pandemic happened, so everything's been moved back. Right. Okay. Well, I have a love-hate relationship with Stonehenge because living in um, living in the uh, the West Country, uh, Mm -hmm. but working a lot in London, you often drive backwards and forwards, and there is a choice to go past Stonehenge on that journey, and it's very magical. Whatever time you drive past it, it's very magical to see all the stones. But the thing is, everyone else thinks it's magical, and so there is a massive traffic jam for for about five miles each way and so i hate that journey now i hate it it's a magical traffic jam though (laughs) yeah it's annoying they're actually thinking of and this sounds like a joke but it's not actually thinking of doing a bypass road underneath stonehenge so 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 if you don't want to see it you don't have to you just go through a tunnel Mm -hmm. i don't know how i feel about that it's kind of quite a sacred place right well, does the sacred place go all the way down to the core? Like, how how far does that sacredness go? Is it a sphere? Um, like, if it's a spell, how many how many squares does it take up on the battle map? Like, yeah, good point. You know? so I mean, it's like- it's absolutely you can't build an overpass because that gets in the way of the sun, and that screws up the whole solstice part. So, an True. underpass is the only reasonable. So, what we're saying is, just like beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, magicalness is only skin deep. Is that what we're yeah, saying? <laughs> yeah. Or at least humus deep. Like, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's get into the story um, yeah. and have to see who we meet. Okay. Here we go. You have been back home in London, England for less than two hours when your cell phone rings. You check the incoming number. Hello, Twig. I'm going for a London accent with that. Hello, oh, Twig. Like I could tell the difference. <laughs> I'll go more London. I'll go more London. All right. Hello, Twig? (laughs) Okay. You say, before your best friend can say anything, 
Ha, you're back. I need your help to do something, your friend replies. Hey, Twig, how about a nice to have you home? Or how was Greece? I've been away for three weeks, you say. No time to chit chat, Twig snaps. <laughs> Twig snaps, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> wow, his name is Twig. And his he name is Twig. Is that a common name in, in, in the UK? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> no time for chit chat, Twig snaps. This is serious. Besides, I know you had a good time in Greece because I read your blog. Um, I need you to go to Stonehenge today to meet someone, Twig replies. Why don't you go? You mean the Stonehenge? In your <sighs> mind, you see the ancient stone monument that sits in the Salisbury Plain. I can't go, Twig croats. Six broken ribs and a cracked collarbone. <laughs> Before you can ask how he broke all those bones, Twig reads your thoughts. Over the weekend, he says, rock climbing in Sussex. I fell. Can't leave bed for two weeks. But if you go to this meeting for me, I will be on standby. Standby for what, you ask? In case you get in trouble, Twig replies. Then it occurs to you. Today is June 21st, the summer solstice. It's the longest day of the year. It's also the day the sun will set exactly between the two largest stones, or megaliths, at the site. The druids who worshipped the Stonehenge considered it the most sacred day of the year, or at least that is what people now think. But I didn't think people were allowed near Stonehenge on the solstice, you say. Not for the past 30 years, Twig replies, but the authorities have decided to open it up this year with heavy police escort. Who am I supposed to meet, you ask? And why? A man named Alistair Shepherd. He claims he has... Is that is that a very British name? Because it sounds very, very British. Alistair Shepherd. It does sound like he could be a, a proper English gent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. A man named Alistair Shepherd. He claims to have information on the missing heelstone. Really, you say? The heelstone? Finally, you are intrigued. The missing heelstone is a Stonehenge controversy. It stems back to the very first known photograph of Stonehenge, taken in 1853. Many of the stones had fallen over. Then in the 1920s, the henge was rebuilt, and one of the stones from the 1953 photo disappeared. The heelstone. How do you know that this Alistair is not just some cook, you ask? Well, I don't, but it's worth a meeting. Listen, there's not much time. I suggest a cab. You glance at your watch. 6pm. About three hours till sundown. Okay, I'll go. I know you would do it, Twig says. I'll cover your expenses, of course. Of course, you reply. Where am I supposed to meet this Alistair Shepherd again? Just inside the outer ring of the megaliths. At sunset, Twig replies. He said he's about five foot six, plump... With a silver beard. <laughs> um, he'll be wearing a druid's cloak and a silver embroidery on his sleeves. And he'll be carrying a small brown leather satchel. <laughs> okay. We've we've given way too much detail for a person who will be wearing a druid's cloak. You could just say, the only guy in a druid's cloak. We don't need to know what color his brooch is or yeah. that it matches his hair or that he has a satchel. Like, you know, you go up to somebody and be like, oh, Alistair. It's like, no, I'm Phil. And it's like, oh, oh, you don't have a satchel. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that gold embroidery? Sorry, I thought it was right. silver. Oh, oh, it's silver filigree. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> 
Two hours later, your taxi is pulling up to the car park across the road from the Stonehenge Monument. There isn't one. There isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so also, uh, Twig said he'd cover all my expenses, which was a taxi. I mean, that's an expensive cab. Two, is it? Okay. So you're driving from London to mm-hmm. Salisbury. Mm-hmm. That's a good, I reckon that that's a good three or four hundred pounds, right? Okay, okay. In a taxi? Yeah. Two hours later, your taxi is pulling up to the car park that doesn't exist across the road from Stonehenge <laughs> Monument. Civilian cars are forced to park several miles back in the town of Amesbury. It was sheer luck that they were letting taxis in this close. You pay the driver £80, no way. Well, this is the 80s. This is the 80s, so This 80 is pounds. true. £80? That's cheap, from London to Salisbury. Okay. Mm. Uh, it looks like the celebrations have already started. There is a large crowd gathered. Almost everyone is dressed in costume. It takes you a few minutes to realise that no one is moving. What's going on? You ask a young man dressed as Pan, the Greek god of nature. Now, what kind of voice is he going to have? Uh... No, make him a Yorkshireman. You know, just oh, okay, all right, okay. <laughs> He's just got a taxi from um, yeah. from Manchester. Okay, fine. There you go. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, they say they aren't going to allow anyone in the side. He replies, playing a few notes on his pipe. Something about terrorist threat against the monument. <laughs> wow, that took a turn. I know. <laughs> Great, you mutter. It's beginning to look like another of Twig's wild schemes. You call him on your phone and ask if there's a plan B, but the reception is terrible. Too true. You get cut off three times before giving up. You scan the crowd. There are a large number of people dressed as druids with grey hooded robes, but no one has silver thread on their sleeves. Suddenly, a small woman dressed as a fairy with sparkles on her face... Um, and Wings flutters up to you. Hi, I'm Elaine, she says in a clear but soft voice. Hi, you nod. You look like the curious sort, she replies. Do you want to go and see the Henge? Do y'all call it the Henge? The Henge. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never called it the Henge. <laughs> okay. um, I suppose if you're really local, you might just abbreviate it. I'm trying to think of the equivalent. Um I might, but we might say the Thames rather than the River Thames. I don't know. Okay, uh, fair. Yeah. Maybe, okay. I'm about to meet someone first, you say. Then you notice Elaine is wearing a strange perfume in addition to her fairy outfit. It is very strong, and you are not sure that you really care for it. I was supposed to meet him inside the outer circle of the megaliths at sunset, but I don't see how I can make that appointment. I can get you in to the Henge, she says. You come with me and my friends. You look up and see Elaine's friends all staring at the two of you. They are dressed as fairies, men and women, both. Some have wings, others don't. Everyone seems to sparkle and flash in the waning rays of sunset light. There are too many cops to sneak past, you say, pointing at the police spread out around the circle of the monument. We know an underground passage. The entrance is just on the other side of this barrow. She points to a low-lying hill that they are standing on. Who are you waiting to meet? That's the problem. I've never met him before. He's going to be dressed as a druid, but in this crowd, that's not much help. We took some druids through the passage earlier. Maybe he's already inside. Really? Did one of them have silver thread on his sleeves? (laughs) Alistair, 
She gasped his name. Why are you meeting Alistair? You know him, you ask, trying to remember if you had mentioned his name before. You don't think so, but your brain seems to be working in slow motion. A lot like mine today, actually. (laughs) Maybe you are just tired from all the travelling. Or is it Elaine's odd perfume? Of course I know him. Alistair is one of the Ark Druids. Why don't you come with us? Then you won't miss the meeting. Now, Damien, here's your first choice. Oh. You could choose to stay and keep looking for Alistair outside the gates, or you could decide to take Elaine's offer and go into the tunnel, uh, into the uh, underground. What are you going to do? I don't like the idea of being in an enclosed space with her perfume, but mm. I do like the idea of it moving the plot along. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Elaine, because otherwise... I mean, I know what happens when I just go off on my own. I get lost in a jungle forevermore. Sure. Um, I, I'm also curious. Like, do they have gates to keep people out of Stonehenge? I don't. I don't know. Uh, see, again, I've only driven past it in anger. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I've probably been seeing red mist when I've driven past. But I think sure. there maybe is like a fence around it because you can't get okay. too close to the actual stones. Oh, you can't. Okay. No. No. Oh. Um, All right. Years ago, I think you could go up and sort of touch them and uh, punch them if you wanted to. Sure. Um, but and now I think there is a little bit of a fence around it. So yeah, I would imagine there is a gate mm. of some okay. kind. Okay. Mm. That makes more sense. I I also like that uh, they they make a lot of hay over the solstice. Um, I myself was born on winter solstice, mm. um, which I always like to point out to people that the day after I was born, the whole world got lighter. Uh, that's right (laughs) or I was born on the darkest day of the year it kind of depends on if you're in a relationship with me or if you've ended a relationship with me where where you go on that (laughs) but I I do like that uh, they're they're making a lot of hay about uh, winter solstice here Um, yeah Yeah. I'm going to go with Elaine Uh, is Elaine a common name over there for for self-created druids (laughs) but yes uh, let's, let's follow Elaine underground I like I like where this is going. Let's do it. You can take me to Alistair, you ask. He and the other art druids use our entrance, Elaine replies. Come with me. She takes you by the hand. Very, um, she's very quick to get personal, isn't she? I'd say. And introduces you to the others dressed like fairies. Everyone you meet laughs or claps you on the back as if you were old friends. Some even hug you. Welcome, human, one shouts. These people are pretty good at role-playing, you think to yourself. Shh, hisses Elaine. Danny, you go and distract the guards for a moment. You got it, boss, says Danny, giving a sharp salute. Sounds quite military, this organisation. I feel like I've just stumbled upon the Fae, quite honestly. (laughs) If they offer me food, I ain't taking it. No, don't, don't do that. You can't tell if she's trying to be funny or not. She bounces away towards the guards. Seconds later, she is doing handstand flips right in front of them. Elaine whispers, Now, it's our chance. You step away from the crowd towards the far side of the barrow. When you turn its corner, you are almost out of sight. Elaine wades through the tall grasses and you continue to follow. There is an oval wooden door set in the side of a tall mound. The door has thick wooden pegs, but no handle. Elaine quickly taps out a complicated knock on the door. 
It whips inward and a small hand reaches out and gestures you to come inside. You follow Elaine into a dark doorway and down a steep, winding hallway lit with torches. Wow, it's gone very um, well, Game of Thronesy, is hasn't it? I really but, yeah, I was going to say it's gotten dark, but then there's torches. Yeah, exactly. So. It's lit up again. Yeah, yeah it's ensconced. Wow. Elaine turns the last corner and you stumble uh, forward into a gigantic dining hall. It might be the largest room you've ever seen. Wooden tables stretch out to the far corners of the room. Hundreds of places are set and most seats are occupied. Everyone is dressed like a fairy, laughing and talking. Uh, and there seems to be a flying contest on the far side of the room. <laughs> seems to be. <laughs> seems to be. <laughs> like that's a normal thing. I you know, there seems to be a bobbing contest. That I would get. But a flying contest by humanoids. I, I've stepped into the Feywild. I have. <clears throat> and I don't regret it yet. No, I wonder in your head, your player's head, you were thinking, wow, these are really good at role play. Look at them levitate. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they're really committed. This is some yeah. method LARPing. <laughs> wow, that's... Okay. You don't see a single person in grey robes of an arc druid. Elaine, I didn't see a single druid, you say. I thought you said Alistair would be here. Well, I thought he could be. I'll ask, she replies cheerfully. She approaches a tall, thin man walking past. Alistair, he answers, stroking his chin. The druids departed some time ago from the Henge. That away. But I don't think Alistair was with them. Just then, a beautiful woman, dressed in green velvet, stands on a chair and rings a crystal bell. Let's say she's from the West Country, because no one is so far. Welcome, and let the festivities begin. A large cheer goes out. The side doors open. The waiters begin streaming out with platters heaped with food. Would you like to eat? Elaine asks. The food looks delicious. Juicy roasts, steaming mashed potatoes, salads, condiments, pies, cakes. Your stomach rumbles. I'd like to find Alistair, you answer. Someone walks past with a tray of glistening lasagna. <laughs> Come on. Glistening lasagna. It's going to be the new name of my new punk band. <laughs> glistening lasagna. Glistening lasagna. We'll be just a bunch of dads without our shirts, too. It'll be... <laughs> multi-layered i i i get the whole roasts the roast the pies that's very like you know uh old english then it's then a big steaming lasagna comes out a, I mean, a glistening lasagna <laughs> glistening lasagna which actually implies that it's it's been out for a while and it started sweating oh gosh yeah um, thank goodness you didn't write this book <laughs> <laughs> I can ch I can change it. Okay, someone walks past with an old stinky lasagna. <laughs> it smells delicious. It couldn't hurt to take a quick bite. You think? Uh oh. Uh oh. I can see trouble ahead. Okay, your mouth is salivating. Then you remember something from preschool. It was a line in a nursery rhyme: "Eat a fairy's food, become a fairy's slave." Mm -hmm. You look around at the jolly crowd. That was just a nursery rhyme, right? Maybe it's time to return to the car park and see if Alistair is waiting for you after all. So, Damien, mm. another choice. Now, you could choose to make... Wait a minute. This is a complicated one. Mm. If you want to make your choice without reading 
up on fairies, you can do. Or you can take a quick refresher lesson in the ways of fairies before you make your choice. This is super complicated. That's something. Uh, I'm going to trust my knowledge of fairies and just plow ahead. What is your knowledge of fairies? Uh, well, uh, you don't give you don't give them your name. Uh, you uh, you are never rude to them. Uh, you don't eat anything they give you. You don't drink anything. You don't take a gift. Um, if I recall, there's something about if you find a circle of mushrooms, you don't stand in that either. And you don't punch them in the face. Uh, I reckon not. I mean, that would be rude, right? Unless you're using the Marquise of Queensbury rules, and then it's okay. (laughs) Stand ho, sir. Ten-ounce gloves. Yeah. Um, So, okay, so, because this has never really happened, so we're not making a choice. We are making, but it's like a pre-choice before the Mm -hmm. choice. So so you want to go on with your own knowledge of fairies. Well, I want to, but since you just said this has never happened before, I kind of want to uh, let us explore that as far as the reading up on fairies. Is it like we're hitting pause on the story and then reading up on fairies for a second so that I can recall better? I, I, I really, I don't know. I don't let's know find is the out. answer. Let's jump into that then. Yeah, let's explore that. So you're going to take a quick refresher lesson in the mm. ways of fairies. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So that this page, not that the listeners can see, but it's got some examples of fairies, the fae persons. Um, okay. Fairy law. There are many theories about fairies, but it is agreed that they are human in appearance with magical powers. Do not like iron and will not go near it. Have magical powers, including flying, casting spells and foretelling the future. Mm-hmm. The name fairy comes from the old French word ferré, possibly, meaning enchanted. I'm not sure if I've got the pronunciation right there. <laughs> Some believe that fairies are an intelligent species similar to humans but smaller and distinctively different. Others believe that fairies are angels who have committed a crime or a sin. They have been forced to live in the earth realm and are quite mischievous. The fairies can change their shape as well. Some of their acts can be awfully harmful. It is not known whether this is intentional or whether they do not understand how their actions affect humans. Fairy time is different. Fairies have a hard time understanding the concept of minutes, hours, days, weeks, etc. People exposed to fairies' mischief have reported time travel is one of their dark arts. Fairies can survive without food or nourishment for long periods. When they eat, they tend to overindulge and eat several times their body weight at a single sitting, including lasagna. There are reports that humans also eat fairy food becomes highly susceptible to their schemes and plans, although actually uh, enslavement is rare. Do you think you've got enough info on fairies now, Damien? Yeah, yeah, I think that matches much of much of what I said. I forgot about the time part, but yeah, I think I'm I'm in good yeah. shape there. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so now he he can make a decision. Now you know more about fairies. Indeed, you you can make a decision. Now you could decide to stay with Elaine in the large hall and risk eating the fairy feast before continuing to search for Alistair. Or you could decide to return above ground and look for Alistair immediately. She said risk. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, uh, given that they said I'm hungry and, and her, I'm, I'm a little mentally impaired by her perfume. Mm. Uh, I'm going to head back up and out. Uh, hopefully they'll let me extricate myself politely because you don't want to be rude to a fairy. Yeah. I'm Cause out. I think I, I didn't know that about fairy food 
if you eat fairy food, you can come become susceptible to what they want you to do. That sounds like that will not be good. Because I, I do, I now that you mentioned the iron thing, that also holds true. So I'm wondering if you know I should go find. Well, we'll, we'll find out. But okay, yeah. So so we're gonna go above ground and look for Alistair immediately. Yes. Let's do it. Elaine, thank you for the invitation to eat, but I promised my friend Twig I would meet Alistair. I'm being polite. This is good. I think I'd better go outside and continue to wait and not have any of your awful lasagna. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. It, does, it doesn't say that. It doesn't okay. say that. Okay. <laughs> sweaty, sweaty lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> I just, the word sweaty lasagna is, is really visceral, isn't it? It's awful. Yeah. It's terrible. Okay. Just those beads that kind of form up on it. Like. <laughs> oh, yuck. Um, Elaine grins mischievously. Fairy time is different, you know, she announces. She reaches out to a passing tray of chocolate-covered strawberries and pops one in her mouth. What is that supposed to mean? We've been here less than 15 minutes, you answer. Go look for Alistair then, she replies, skipping off. Good luck. You nod goodbye to the fairy guards as you return to the narrow dark tunnel leading to the car park. They murmur something and exchange nervous glances, but they do not try to stop you. The sooner I'm back above ground, the better, you mumble. You retrace your steps and arrive at the oval wooden door. The guard elf is talking on his cell phone and... It's got a cell phone. That's great. The elf has a cell phone. He ignores you as you grasp the wooden handle and open the door. I wonder if he uses it to take selfies. Oh. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) That just happened. Um, As soon as you step outside into the green field, the door slams shut behind you. That's funny. The light has changed. It looks like late afternoon. The car park and thousands of people should be in plain view, but the fields are empty. The only living thing is a horse-drawn carriage approaching a dirt road. You wave it down. Uh, what happened to everyone? You cry. Everyone? The carriage stops. I have no idea what you're talking about. The driver replies. He's dressed in an old-fashioned frock coat and top hat. I'm in Amesbury, right? Near the Stonehenge Monument, right? You ask? Right. Amesbury, England. 1844. Are you lost, he answers. 1844? You reply weakly. The end. Oh, god dang it. (laughs) I had hoped for, like, like, this wonderful, like, okay, now I'm in the 1840s. Here we go. Let's, let's work my way oh man damien that's oh. that that is that is something that is the beginning of something cool like yeah oh, oh well, man now so that's the first ending where we've had time travel <laughs> i'm gonna die in a day because my gut bacteria is not used to the lack of sanitation and food preparation here <laughs> or lack of filtration in the water like i oh man wow I wow. should have eaten the fairy food. Have Have you ever read this with your daughter? Do, uh, no. do you know you don't know any of the endings that she's encountered? No. I, it felt like it would be in bad faith to do that. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, again, that was quite a quick ending, uh, Damien. Just like your <laughs> adventure in the Amazon. Yeah. Do you want to skip back one? Should we do that? I think I think that would be fair and on mm. on brand for me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> for old time's sake. Yes, indeed. <laughs> 
Although I would, I'm like you, I would love to have found out what was happening in 1844, whatever it was, but shame. Okay, well, we're back to the two options then. Back to the two options. So we decided to go and look for Alistair immediately, and you turned up in 1840-something. So you're going to decide now to uh, go with Elaine in the large hall and risk eating the fairy food. Of course. What could go wrong? It can't hurt to eat a bit of fairy food, you say. I must admit, I'm starving. We prefer to call it fae these days. Fairies, uh, kelpies, we folk, those terms are kind of old school, Elaine says. Right, fae food, then, you reply. You and Elaine find empty seats at one of the long tables. Within seconds, plates of food appear in front of you, every bit as delicious. You eat roast beef with Yorkshire puddings, baby asparagus with delicious lemon butter sauce, grilled chicken with mashed potatoes, lasagna, obviously, and more mashed potatoes. Alistair seems more and more remote as you eat the wonderful feast. After you have eaten three whole plates of food... That's too much, Damien. Calm down. <laughs> what <are> you... <laughs> I'm feeling shamed here, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You, you went from not having any, because you're scared of it, to having three plates worth. <laughs> There's mashed potatoes. Oh, and now does, the, the desserts begin to arrive. First, you dig into a piece of pecan pie with homemade vanilla ice cream. You can tell that this was written by an American, because oh, yeah. I don't think pecan pie turned up in the UK until about three years ago. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm apologizing um, now, because it's awful. Do you not like pecan pie? Oh, God, no, it's way too cloying, way too sweet. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Although some of our UK desserts, which UK listeners will know, are just based on sugar. Like a, a treacle sponge is like the liquid sugar over a sponge. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I assume a sponge is a, a type of cake for you guys. Yeah, type of cake, yeah. Okay, yeah. for us it's the thing that you wash things in the sink with. So, <laughs> so, so confusingly, it is here also. But... <laughs> I see why you pour treacle on it. It makes it go down easier. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, like, on the Great British Bake Off, no one's going to come out with a, 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 a cleaning sponge. Okay. Um, so, you start to dig into the pecan pie. Then you accept a bowl of brown sugar roasted bananas with chocolate. You follow that with a tiny raspberry tart and a fat slice of spice cake. Finally, it sounds like drugs. Finally, you finish off with a miniature meringue swan filled with blueberry custard. Okay, is this uh, an actual swan-shaped thing made out of meringue and filled? I, I've never seen a meringue swan, but I imagine I, yeah. so. Okay. I don't care if I do become your slave, you say, to no one in particular. This is the <laughs> best meal I've ever eaten. Good lord. <laughs> oh, wow. All the nearby fairies break out laughing, as if you said the funniest thing in the world. One of them is about to say something when the crystal bell rings. The whole hall goes quiet in an instant. The Queen, Elaine whispers, answering your look. She's about to speak. Let us give our thanks to the cooks and the waiters. A huge roar goes up from the assembled crowd, and you join in with the enthusiasm. Now we are ready to pay our respects to the light of the sun on this longest day of days. With those words, the Queen proceeds to march through the oak doors at the end of the dining hall. Guests fall in line behind her. 
You hurry to follow after the Queen into the tunnel. She begins to climb a set of worn stone steps without pausing. You and Elaine are not far behind. As you step out of the darkness, you realise that you are in the middle of the Stonehenge Monument. Ah. You see the fading light of the end of the longest day. A honey glow makes everything seem special and full of life. You look around, but you can't see any of the police, the barricades, or the thousands of people who were in the parking lot. All that you can see is green and untouched. You are about to ask where everyone went when a fey queen steps into the middle of the circle. Just as she does so, the sun sets. She raises her hands up as if she's making an offering. Her face is strong and beautiful in the last of the fading light. You fall to your knees along with the others. We kneel to honour the sun and the earth, Elaine whispers. This is the most powerful time of the year. The time when Her Majesty gets her visions. Visions of what, you ask? Before Lane can answer, the Queen lets out an anguished cry and falls to the ground, unconscious. The whole crowd gasps. Wow, this has taken quite a turn, Damien. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I fortified myself with three plates of mashed potatoes. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I turn the page and it just says, you vomit everywhere. <laughs> Because you're full of food. Okay. And that's how, that's, I don't know if you know this, that's how ancient druids used to read people's entrails without having to do sacrifice. <laughs> you just... Fill them full of meringue swan. Yes. What's happened, you ask? Elaine shakes her head. The fairies move quickly to help the queen. She awakes and struggles to her feet, brushing them back. I will be perfectly fine, she says in a strong tone. She looks around the assembled fairy throng. They seem to be looking for someone. Then her eyes look at yours when she stops. She whispers something to her minions and points in your direction. Then she departs. A nervous murmur of worries rises from the crowd when she is gone. Oh, this can't be good, Elaine says with a frown. Someone else says, I've never seen it happen, and I've been attending for 332 years. One of the Queen's pages approaches. You feel all eyes uh, on you as he comes near. He leans in and says in a low voice, The Queen would like to see you in her audience chamber. Please follow me. You nod in agreement. You've got no choice. You've got to go, Damien. You've got to go. Okay. No, there wasn't a choice. You just got to do it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. The page leads you back down the stairs through several tunnels that you don't remember seeing before and through carved wooden doors and into a small room with comfortable chairs and a roaring fire. So he, he takes me through tunnels with all these twists and turns. Mm -hmm. So I am entering into a voyage of a page turner. <laughs> well, well, well. That... <laughs> I think I found the clip for the trail. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt. <laughs> wow, there you go. Amazing. Okay, yes, he is taking you on a voyage, and he is... Right, okay, I won't say it again. Okay, um, where am I? Okay, on a table in front of the fire is a small bowl of glowing blue water. You stare into the fire for a few moments. The song is more than just a tradition, the Queen says. You jerk around. She has entered the room without a sound. At the setting of the solstice sun, on Midsummer's Eve, knowledge of the future is given to the one who knows how to ask. 
I saw a terrible fate that is going to befall both the Fae and you humans. Unfortunately, the Henge has fallen into such a state of disrepair that I can't find out more about the fate that threatens without getting help. What needs to be done, a Fae cannot do, so I need your help. Why me, you ask? What can I do? The Henge was built by three groups. The humans, giants, and the troll, the queen replies. All three worked together to build it long ago. I need someone to go talk to the giants or the troll to help us figure out what this oracle means. But why don't you go? Or one of your people? The truth is that we foe have had, shall we say, moments of unpleasantness with both the giant and the troll. They won't treat our request well if one of us was to go, she says. I think I know what the giants are, you say, but what are a troll? Troll are the barrow dwellers, the hog bonds, that's a word I've never heard before, the hog bonds, the hog boons, not sure. No. Yeah, so hog bonds, that's, uh, it's when you uh, go to the uh, the stock market. Uh, and in the stocks, they have hogs, and then you buy based on hog futures, and you buy hog bonds. Oh, I mean, that's ridiculous. Stop Pork it. barrel legislation. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty normal. Hog bonds. Wow. <laughs> it got some wordplay out of it. Hog bonds. Sometimes they are called goblins. Well, let's call them goblins then. Why are you... Okay. But I'm getting angry now with the book. Because if you eat up all your hog bonds, you're gobbling them. Oh, stop and, it. Yeah. Stop it, yeah. Damien. Stop it. It's the fairy foods talking. Stop it. Okay. But I would not go to say it to their faces. They are tough, but not overly mean. We have had our conflicts through the years. Please, can you do this? I would not ask un unless I truly needed your help. It has to be freely done. Otherwise, I would merely place you under a spell. You feel a strange compulsion to say yes. In fact, you don't even consider refusing. I'll do it, you say. Wonderful. Would you prefer to go to the Giants? Or maybe you're inclined to see the Troll? So, Damien, choice is to be made. Mm-hmm. Giants or Troll? Uh, <laughs> giants or Troll? Giants or Troll. Mm. Uh, ooh. Finally, it, it, what I love about this story is mm. is that we have had forty minutes of you reading exposition text, and then so sorry, I make so sorry. no, no, I I like it, <laughs> um, and and I trust that you've been doing different accents, though my American ears can't tell the difference. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, between you and me and everyone listening, they're they're very similar, but there is a hint of uh, West Country. I'm sure there is. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's just my ears aren't trained for it. Uh, sure, but sure. then the one choice I make leads me back to a, you know, boring spot in 1844 Amesbury's history <laughs> and then I'm done. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's go with the uh with the tro. Let's let's drop tro. So goblins basically. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm you know, yeah. stick to people that are yeah. That's my I haven't turned the page. I don't know what's going to happen, but my inkling would be like the troll seem a bit more friendly than the giants, mm -hmm. or or certainly more possibility of, of fun accents. So that's how oh, I make gosh. most of my decisions here, Connor. So, <laughs> oh, uh, no. Let's go. Let's yeah. Let's drop in on the troll. Let's drop troll on the troll. Okay, yeah. let's go to the troll. I would like to try the troll, Your Majesty. You say. <laughs> so, if I could be Irish for a second, I'd like to try to give them a troll. 
would like to throw. Okay. Back to my stone uh, throwing days. <laughs> <laughs> Hobgoblin, she says, nodding at your decision in agreement. The throw inhabit the human side, she adds. Elaine can take you, but be careful of their tricks. I will, you promise. Elaine leads you down a complicated series of tunnels. Another one. Hmm. You yeah, finally I'm reach. Throw tricks, so. <laughs> Tic tac throw. <laughs> and I'm trying to keep track of the tro, so I'm doing trick track tro. Trick track tro. Oh, what are you tro? Okay, you finally reach another over wooden tro door. Not. Stop it. And push through to the outside. You come out about a quarter of a mile from Stonehenge, right near the road to Amesbury. In the distance, you can hear the music and singing of the solstice celebration. Tro like this area for some reason, Elaine explains. Ten feet away, a van has pulled over to the side of the road. It's filled with some people wearing kilts, uh-oh, and painted blue faces. The Ooh. engine turns over and over, but won't catch. Sure sign of tro nearby, Elaine whispers. <laughs> Me- mechanical breakdown is a sign of tro. <laughs> well, I, I remember watching Gremlins when I was younger, and they did play tricks to cars, didn't they? In America, we actually had a saying, in World War II at least, that if you were having mechanical breakdowns, that it was the Gremlins. Ah. So in indeed, and the gremlins are kind of tro-ish, as, as yeah. it were. So sure sign of tros nearby. Elaine whispers, "They love to play tricks with car engines." You nod as if this is perfectly normal information. <laughs> Here, let me try calling them," says Elaine. But she begins whis- uh, whistling a long, low whistle. Something rustles in the tall grasses nearby. You spot a quick flash of dark fur. Elaine stomps over and reaches down. She pulls out a small creature, no bigger than two foot tall, covered in brown fur. It has no nose. Found one, she announces, holding him up. The tro thrashes wildly and hisses. That, that's a hobgoblin, you ask. When you say the word, the tro begins to squeal and shake his fists at you. Excuse me, I meant tro. You said you're arguing with a with a pixie. It's really weird. I'm, I'm being sensitive culturally, though. I said a word that he didn't yeah. like. I immediately backed off. <laughs> Call you what you want to be called. I apologize. <laughs> Very true. It might make the press. Who yeah. knows? Uh, you never know. He speaks. Okay, that's more Ooh. like it. What, oh, what? Go on. oh no, go I was, on. I was, I was hoping that he would have like a 1930s radio announcer voice. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, okay, that's more like it, the short figure says. You speak English, you ask. It's our second language. Used it to help translate the human speech when we built the henge. Back then, giants didn't know a word of it. That's why we came to find you, you say. It's about Stonehenge. I have a question from the Fairy Queen. What? Is she having trouble with her visions again? The tro asks. She has the same trouble every year. Every Ever since the stones fell over and the current humans put them back up in the wrong way. Planets have been out of balance ever since, the tro says. Plain and simple. Uh, what can she do? You ask. Nothing. Itself put them back the right way, the tro answers. Oh, what's the right way, you say? You've got to check the plans the tro replies but where are they you ask 
I can't tell you. That's a true secret. And from secrets, we get power. But I'll give you a hint. Stonehenge is a relative to the labyrinths in Sweden. Look at those for clues. Now, goodbye. Labyrinths in Sweden? The troll takes a few steps back and begins to spin. Within seconds, he has drilled himself into the earth. All that is left is a small amount of fresh dirt. You turn to Elaine. Well, this could take a while. Sweden is pretty far away. The taxi costs are going to be exorbitant. Luckily, Twig is paying for it, so... (laughs) Twig's going to get a bill for like £3,000. Okay. We'll be here waiting, Elaine says. She makes a deep curtsy and prances off. A few hours later, you return to London to tell Twig your strange adventures. You decide to travel to Sweden to investigate the Tro's idea. Within a year, you and Twig are famous worldwide for unlocking important secrets of Stonehenge. The End Flip it, Eck. Okay. Right. Wow. Wow. Another ending for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've made just as many choices as I did in the last one. Five? I, I mean, I, I... Now, in my defense, uh, and in your defense, really, yeah. this was a lovely story picked by your wonderful daughter. It but was. unfortunately, it didn't have many choices. <laughs> so, really, it's my daughter's fault. It's... Yeah, let's blame her. No, yeah. but... um. I can see why she likes the story. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fantastical adventures in that. Yes, yes. Mm. She'll be very excited to find out that I met the Tro and that I went <laughs> to Sweden. Fame and, fame and fortune um, did favor the brave. And yeah. um, it's sometimes nice to come out of these stories alive, I suppose, even if it is a little bit more boring. <laughs> yeah, I am a little... 50, well, I, I think I was alive in both instances of this one. Yeah. One sounded like the beginning of a wonderful story, and the other one sounded like the guy wrote himself into a corner and just had to kind of wrap it up at the end, kind of like Jason and the Argonauts. Ah, the boat falls on him. We're good. We're good. You know? (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I noticed in another story, which was Beyond Escape, which I did with um, a a wonderful comic, a one-liner comic called Philip Simon, mm -hmm. um, a few episodes ago, that we were in America, and it was all very normal, and then suddenly it said, a spaceship comes down, you are taken to space, the end. It had no (laughs) relevance to the story whatsoever. So, Do you think the the author had, like, a book deal that he was just kind of tired of and he was just writing to get out of like david bowie when he first had his record deal and he's like i'm just gonna write i'm gonna make really bad music for about five albums but i'm gonna give the rights to a wonderful song to my friend freddie here and then you know i'll I'll do under pressure and everybody will know how great i am i know that in these books that there's very often a main storyline that they write for you you know Mm -hmm. where it's actually adventurous and all that kind of stuff i i know Mm. Um, you know, there, there have been several where it's like you you end up becoming the king of the ant people or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what their main A story was, since apparently because this seems like it should have been an A story because now I'm traveling. Uh, you know, I forgot about Alistair completely, by the way. Um, yeah. Now I'm traveling mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, going to Sweden and mm-hmm. like all the things, all the choices I could be making and all the cool cultural connections you could make to like the fairies and the Norn stones and all kinds of stuff in Scandinavia. Mm. And, you know, you could even go into like old, you know, like Nazi encampments and things like that. And like awaken the zombies and all kinds of things. But, you know, that easily could have and should have been another huge storyline with lots of choices. But 
alas, the book is only so thin. So I wonder what the A story was for this, since it wasn't this. Yes, it, uh, who knows? I mean, you did, like I said at the start, you might get fame and fortune, and you did, mm-hmm. but not not via Alistair. From the front cover, uh, the front cover has very sinister-looking uh, black hooded with, uh, like, I don't know, ghost type creatures with glowing eyes we didn't meet any of those i still maintain that the 1844 thing was was the beginning of something amazing yeah and then and then he just said the end again i'm wondering what the a story what was so cool that we skipped through two really cool ideas Damien, thank you for joining me for your second adventure. Um, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I do apologise to anyone who uh, likes a podcast but likes listening to more choices that there were no more. There wasn't many choices. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, you know. I, I did get to eat three plates of mashed potatoes, and wow, any story where I get to do that is. <laughs> you know, Imagine if just... that was the choices. Do you have another plate of mashed potato? <laughs> See, I see why they didn't give me those choices. That's just a waste of ink to ask. So before we go, um, I I think uh, if people are fans of this uh, podcast, that they will know where to find you from when you were on episode nine. But just Mm -hmm. remind us of the brilliant output that you have um, online and hopefully very soon in the real world when we start to open up again. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, Yeah, so I I am part of a uh, long-running... pun tournament uh, over here in the States called Capital Punishment. Um, You can find us on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns currently, uh, but when we open up live, I'm hoping to to just bring the laughter and the joy back. Um, I also just hit the 100th episode on my podcast, uh, A Geek History of Time, um, which is all kinds of fun. Uh, And then other than that, you can, you know, pretty much find me at Duh Harmony, two ages in the middle. Uh, on Twitter, but yeah, I think that's 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 about it as far as the, oh, and also I I've started um, a a video channel with um, Ian McDonald, uh, one of your uh, companions, uh, called mm. Excelsior Gaming, and it's a it's a discussion uh, about uh, Marvel Strike Force, the the <laughs> mobile game, so a lot of fun. Nice, yeah. nice, fantastic. Well, people should definitely check those things out. And uh, if if you haven't heard Damien before on the podcast, go back to episode nine, Lost yeah. in the Amazon, uh, for more hijinks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think the last thing to do, Damien, just to finish off the podcast, when you go back to Twig um, after your adventures uh, at Stonehenge and also looking at the um, labyrinths, where was it? In Sweden? Yeah. Was it in Sweden? Yep. Uh, Could you just give a few things on your itemized bill that you're going to present to him? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, of course, there was the the um, the fare back and forth between Stonehenge uh, for the taxi, um, but as well as uh, I bought a, a a bunch of iron shavings and and had them put into my clothing, as well as a few magnets, just just to make sure that the iron shavings stay nearby, just nice. in case the Fae try to do something. Um, and then, of course, there's travel costs to get over there. Um, probably uh, three times my body weight in meatballs. Um, I think that would be. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and also a scarf replacement because I probably would have tried to use iron to stitch um, protection into my scarf. And I probably would have ruined it. So, And, you know, when you ruin a scarf, I mean, you have to replace it. So it's been ruined. <laughs> 
And just like a scarf, that's a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) Voyage of the Page Turner. Featured the books of author R.A. Montgomery. Featuring special guest Damien Harmony. Hosted by Colin Lego. Voiceover by Samuel Midnight Thomas. Produced by Colin Lego. Special thanks to Ant McGinley. Until we meet next time, remember, choose wisely.